0: Before we get started tonight, I wanted to mention that for those of you who were able to come to Jonas's birthday party, many of you brought things for the children in Tanzania. My sister and uh, my brother-in-law, and their three girls live there in Tanzania doing mission work. They received the boxes of things from uh, here, everyone here at the congregation this past week, and um, my sister told me they got to pass out some of it already to some of the children that they work with. And the, uh, the kids didn't even open the books. They just kept looking at the covers of the books and kept saying they were so shiny. Um, so they, you know, very well received and the, and the kids loved it and they'll share them a lot. A um, funny story that my sister told me, though, was that they have to go. To, it's a very long process receiving boxes from the United States. They're going to try to bribe everything out of you that they can get by going through the boxes, seeing what's in it, and seeing how much it's worth, and making you pay a lot of money. So my sister's been through this process quite a few times, and she's a little frustrated with the people there. So she's she's a, a bit of a pistol, I guess you would say. So um, she. Uh, <laughs> the man was going through the boxes with all the books, and he said, well, who are, who's, who's all these books for? And um, my sister said, for the children. They were obviously children's books, so, you know, she said for children, and he waited a second, kept looking through it, and he said, well, I have kids, and uh, so Megan, my sister, was like, okay, and so she looked through the box a little bit, and and uh, she found two books <clears throat> and and she handed it to the man at the post office and um, He looked down at the two books and he he said, "Well, I have three kids and my sister, being who she is, responded with, "Do your children not share <laughs> so he uh, he just kind of gave her a blank look, and then he just chuckled under his breath so um he didn't charge her much money for the boxes, so I guess he thought she was funny. Um, typically, women over there aren't as outspoken as they are here. So um, It's mostly an Islamic nation, so they, uh, they're probably not used to that. Um, so anyway, as, as we've has been mentioned a few times, um, and for those of you that were here, I guess it was three weeks ago now, we had uh, begun a study, a word study, just a very basic study of, of going through uh, the Bible somewhat chronologically, at least um, in order that the books are, are put together, um, and looking at the discussion of light in the Bible to better understand. Last week, we, or three weeks ago, we started with the passage in Matthew chapter 5 with Christ t- telling us the word the light of the world. And then from that point, going back and looking at what light means in the Bible. Um, so we started with the light of the world in Matthew, but then we moved back, back all the way to creation and discussed the source of light, the creation of light, and how it was one of the first things created on the first day, um, and that obviously, as we saw in our study, the source of light is God himself. And then we looked at a light in a dark world, and the next mention we have of, of light in Scripture. Specifically, is, is the ninth plague, when the Israelites are in e- Egypt in, ca- in captivity. And we see in the ninth plague this great and heavy and thick darkness, so thick you could feel, had covered the land, but the Israelites were provided with this what appears to have been a miraculous light in each one of their homes, given by, given by God. And so we, we discussed how that was their light in their very dark world. And then... <clears throat> Moving on with their escape from Egypt, for the Exodus from Egypt, we have the light that guides, which was the pillar by day and we, I mean, the pillar by night, and the cloud by day that guided the Israelites as they went throughout the wilderness. Um, so we looked at that, the pillar of fire, and then we ended with um, the institution of. Well, this was a part of the institution of the Old Law, and so we see the tabernacle, the instructions for the tabernacle. And most importantly, in our study, <clears throat> excuse me, we see the lampstand and how the lampstand became such an important symbol for Israel um, as the only light in the tabernacle and therefore also in the temple. You know, we discuss it even to this day that the Jews use the menorah as one of their primary um, symbols of their religion. And I'd actually like to do, I didn't have a chance, but would like to do more study on that as far as its figurative representation and, and, and the role that it plays in the Jewish religion to this day. Um, so surprisingly, we we kind of ended at a really good point, and I didn't plan it that way at all. But I told Courtney, as I was looking back over my notes this week, that it's interesting that at this point in Scripture... Um, that we've come to with the lampstand, all the light that we have discussed has been physical light, Um, creation of actual light. Uh, The um, the light and the darkness, the pillar of light was a real, you know, flame that was given. And then here, obviously, the lampstand that was always in continual burning, these were all physical forms of light. Now, they had great meaning, especially the lampstand had meaning, meaning that moved beyond its physical form. But from this point on in our study, everything's been real, physical light. But we take a shift now in our next point. Um, As we move on, we move on still talking about kind of present in the scriptures anyway as we are writing. We're still talking about the current time in a sense, um, if that makes makes sense. We're not moving to the future and the prophecy yet. Um, but we have moved to a figurative sense of light, which is an interesting transition in the Scriptures. So we look at the light of Israel. I want to begin here in 2 Samuel chapter 21. This is a really interesting story that I, I don't recall having done much study on. 2 Samuel chapter 21 I'm going to start in verse fifteen. <clears throat> it says when the Philistines were at war against again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. Then Ishbanob, who was one of the sons of the giant, I'm probably going to pronounce all these names incorrectly, the weight of whose bronze spear was three hundred she- shekels, he was bearing a new sword. Thought he could kill David, the king of the Israelites. He thinks he can kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not, you shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. So for me, this is a really interesting statement about David himself. Because up until this point, I mean, the symbolism here is not lost on those who heard this statement. They they knew very well where the lamp of Israel was. This is the lamp of Israel. This is the lampstand. But here we see that David, as the king of Israel and as the the primary leader and the relationship that he had with God, clearly he had taken on a great significance and importance to the people that they even considered the idea that he now was the light of Israel, that he was the lamp of Israel, which makes sense in this. In when we consider that, that he was a man after God's own heart and that he was a spiritual leader as much as he was a governmental leader. And so we move on from here and this is all going to connect together but we move on, on from here to 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 36. I'm going to skip the other Samuel verse for right now. 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 36. So this is this is at the point when we're hearing about the dividing of the kingdoms. So Solomon is about to die, and God is already setting things up to where the kingdom is going to be divided. And so here he's speaking to, I believe it is Jeroboam here that he's talking to. Um, And he says, beginning in verse 36, and to his son, well, let's start verse 35. Says, but I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, meaning Solomon's son's hand, and give it to you ten tribes. And to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. Again, a really interesting transition and in happening here, where we're learning something about, first David is called the lamp of Israel, but then we see after the fact that apparently God had made a promise to David that there would always be a light in Israel that in some ways represented David, but as we will see as we move forward represented something much bigger than David. Um, and then we can go on to Second Chronicles chapter twenty one. Chapter 21, verse 7. Well, again, sorry, starting verse 6. And he walked in the way, Jehoram, speaking here about Jehoram, it says, and he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. So again, this is even much later. So now we're talking about Jehoram. Jehoshaphat's reign has ended, and now we are here with Jehoram taking over And it says that he walks in the ways of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, for he had the daughter of Ahab as a wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. So there's a really interesting line of thought here throughout um, Samuel and Chronicles and the Kings. That, that there was this continuous lamp that was being passed down. There was this torch that was being passed down that was um, representative of maybe God's presence or God's care, but also representative of much more, as we know the promise to Abraham of the seed, and that the line of Christ would come through um, Abraham and then David. And so we, we learn a lot here about the idea of the light continuing, um, throughout the time of the Israelites. So so we've taken, I guess, our first step to the figurative. Now we're not talking about physical. We see David and David's um, lineage representing the light of God. So we kind of take an aside and we, we get to the Psalms and Proverbs. Psalms and Proverbs give us a lot of information about wisdom, and it gives us a lot of information about the level of thought at the time that it was written. We, we, there was a lot of great wisdom, obviously, in David and Solomon given by God. And so, we're not, there, there's so many passages in Psalms and Proverbs that discuss the idea of light. But I thought it was interesting to see, this is David and Solomon and others of the time, giving us their thoughts on what light was. And this obviously, too, was was readings that the Jews would have read a lot of. The Jews of Christ's time would have been very familiar with this definition of light. Um, and so just quickly, we see in Psalms 27, verse 1, that the Lord equals light. We see in Psalms 37, verse 6, that righteousness equals light. We see in Psalms 43, verse 3 that truth equals light. Psalms 56.13 tells us that life itself is light. Psalms 89.15, the path of God, or if you will, walking in the light, is light. Um, Again, 97.11, we see righteousness equals light. 118.87 of Psalms tells us what we've already studied, which is that God is actually the source of light. Um, and then we see with Psalms 119, 105, and verse 130, and then also in Proverbs 6, verse 23, this very interesting transition that both of the books makes, both Psalms and Proverbs, this idea that the Word of God is the light, Um, which is a very interesting point that I think we'll see in the New Testament very very clearly stated and carried out, but also, we, see, we look all the way back to creation. What was it that brought light into existence? God spoke. All of creation was by the word of God. It was him speaking. And so it's interesting here that the, it is turned to say that the word of God is light itself. Um, so there's this constant relationship between the analogy of, of, of light and God's power, God's word, God's essence, in a sense. Um, and the truth so so again this gives us a picture of this is what the jews at the time understood this was the wisdom that was given to them and we see this major transition from to them light being a light in a dark room or a pillar that guided them or a lamp inside of a tent to now there's been a huge transition in their understanding that the Jews now get it, that, okay, light means much more. It's much bigger. It's, it's about God. It's about truth. It's about righteousness. It's how we live our life. Um, so then we move to what I consider to be the really exciting part. This is when things start really building up. God's, God's been preparing things for a long time through the Scriptures. And we get to Isaiah, and Isaiah is such a fun book to study because of the constant connections that it makes to the New Testament, and I think it's a very it's a it's a very big faith building study um, to to study Isaiah. So we'll start in Isaiah chapter nine, <clears throat> and these are probably passages that we're pretty familiar with. And there's quite a few of them, and they're long, and we're not going to read all of it, but we'll try to focus in on the most important. Element. So Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to start in verse 1. We'll read 1 and 2, and then we'll skip down to verse 6. <clears throat> and it's, it's really beautiful how Isaiah paints a picture of the time that he was living in. It says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when... As when um, at first he lightly esteemed the land, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And then verse 6. If there was any question as to what he was talking about. Verse 6 clears it up. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty, God Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So again, I mean, you, I can't help but imagine the Jews at this time, and, and they didn't have the New Testament, they didn't know what was coming and they knew everything we've studied before, and they start to hear about this light. They knew there was going to be a light from David, but now Isaiah is giving them something much more defined. Um, So in Isaiah chapter 9, we learn one really important detail that we'll come back to. But the detail is, Isaiah gives the place in which the light will come. Now, he gives a lot of other details that are very important, but, but he gives a place of which the light will come, and that's Galilee. And another detail, which we'll see in another verse here in a second, but it's all given here also, is that he will come to Galilee, very specific place, to who? The Jews? It's interesting here that Isaiah points out very clearly this light does not only belong to them. It belongs also to the Gentiles which is something we'll see over and over again in Isaiah's writings, is as he's introducing this light not just as David's line, but as David's line to the whole world. This goes beyond the nation of Israel. And so we move on to Isaiah 42, 6 through 7. Beautiful verse here as well. Starting in verse six, he says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. As a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory will not give to another. So again, we get some important reassurance of those details He's going to the Gentiles. We get some other details here about blind eyes being opened and people being freed from prison. Again, prophecy after prophecy that we see fulfilled. We go on to Isaiah 49, verse 6. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So Isaiah drives it home here. If there was any question in the Jews' mind, which is is a bit mind-blowing that they had these passages And yet they missed this point, even the apostles, as we see their confusion, that it took them a while to understand that Christ was for everybody. Um, Even after he had left, there was controversy over the fact that the Gentiles were being taught the truth. Here, there's no question that it's not enough just to raise up Israel, is what Isaiah is saying. It's not enough to restore the house of Jacob, but that he would be a light to all the world, but we understand something else here that is by far the most important point that Isaiah will make about the light. It's not just light to find our way. It is salvation. Think about it. The Jews did not understand this whole concept of salvation. They didn't understand the afterlife. They didn't know, they didn't know what was... I mean, you had the Sadducees, you had the Pharisees, the resurrection. Was it real? Was it not Um, What happened after you died? All these questions that they didn't know, but here Isaiah says the light is coming and there is salvation in the light. I just get chill bumps with things like this because it's, it's so interesting to see that they had this information and Isaiah was already prophesying in the great kind of theme of light that we come a bit to a climax here, especially in the Old Testament. We know it's coming, it's coming from David. We know that it's gonna, where it's going to come. It's going to come in Galilee. We know who it's going to be for. It's not just for the Jews. This is the opening of the door to God, to the whole world. This is the true light. This is the light that's been waited for since creation. And that it would mean salvation for everyone. So, the light of salvation. So we move forward into the New Testament. <clears throat> I might actually get done early this time. No, maybe not. Um, so as we move forward into the New Testament, I want to start in, in actually in Luke chapter one. If anybody wants to jump in, I get going and I don't stop for questions or comments. Please feel free to interrupt me. Luke chapter 1, I have 67, let's see. Yeah, so, kind of to set the picture here, you know, we obviously have the beginning of the New Testament, we're we're being told a lot about John the Baptist in, in Luke's account, and we actually get more about John the Baptist and his family from Luke's account than maybe the others. And so, we're given this interesting prophecy that we have from John the Baptist's father, uh, Zacharias. That begins. It starts in verse sixty-seven, and we might. I'm just going to go ahead and read the whole thing, um, but this is really the introduction. Of, of this idea of light in the New Testament. Starting in verse 67, it says, Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, in the house of his servant, David, has he spoken by mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father, Abraham, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness And righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. Who's he talking about? He's talking to his own son. That his son is going to be the prophet of the highest. That you, son, that you, child, will be the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, which with, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I can't help but read this passage and have images of the things that we've studied. Sit in darkness, the Israelites in the rooms in Egypt, and with their one little light shining, to guide us to peace. You think about the pillar, follow, you know, that they followed through the night, and and all the connections and the beautiful way that the Bible is in such harmony here in this great prophecy given by Zacharias. And so then we move on to to I I think it was the coolest verse, if I can say that. Um, that I that I found through our study throughout this throughout um, this study, which is Luke chapter two, <clears throat> Luke chapter two, verse twenty, starting in verse twenty five. So I mean, here we have you know in, Ma- in Matthew and Mark we get a very different we get a bit of a different story about Christ's visit to Jerusalem and to the temple. You know, we all know the story of him They go to the temple and they they're on their way back and they're like, oh no, where's where's Jesus? They go back to find him and he's sitting and talking with the priest. Luke gives us a very interesting account of some of the conversations that actually happened in the temple, which apparently this happened before they had left, I assume, or maybe it was after when his, when his parents had come back to get him. We don't know, I don't think. Um, but you have to imagine, we're in the middle of Jerusalem. This is the center of, of Jewish religion. We're in the temple, and here comes a little boy. A little boy that hasn't been seen much as far as we know, at least not much written about him up until this point. So you have Mary and you have Joseph and you have this little boy just going to the temple like they're supposed to. Just like the good Jews would do and not expecting, as far as we know, not expecting anything special. But verse 25, we, we see a scene far different maybe than what they expected. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was And bless God, and he said this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of who? All peoples, a light to bring revelation to who? The Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Can you imagine being Mary and Joseph? <laughs> I mean, you know, they know these passages too. You know, Mary and Joseph are very devout. As we can see, they were they were obviously just and and devout Jews, or they wouldn't have been chosen to raise the Christ. And so they knew the Scriptures. They understood the importance of the light of David, the light of Israel. And here a man in the temple walks up and says... You are the light of the world. I can die now because I have seen the Lord's salvation. What an introduction that Christ had in the temple, as He now comes on the scene as the light of the world. And then, of course, we move on and we see um, going back to what well, we can do. John eight, verse tw- John chapter eight, verse twelve. <clears throat> Most of us, I'm sure, know this passage well. And it says that, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Remember, um, in Psalms or Proverbs, Psalms fifty six thirteen, life equals light. We see a Christ here saying that he is the light, and therefore he is the life. And then, of course, John's great passage of John chapter 1, which in some ways summarizes our entire study. Um, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Again, we're going back to the beginning. We continually are going back to the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Skipping on down to verse 8. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, talking about John, that was the true light, Christ, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So obviously, many things connected here. The life, the light, the salvation, the word. John pulls everything together to us from the beginning to now to Christ. So, in conclusion, we make it all the way back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, where do we find ourselves? In Galilee. We're in Galilee on a hill. In Galilee on a hill, and the light sits down to speak, to give the word of God. And when you consider the weight of this first sermon that I've recorded of Christ, of all the history and all the preparation and all the effort and time that was put into preparing for this very moment, for when Christ would give this sermon and say the words that He would say, as the light of the world in Galilee, just as Isaiah had said, it's a little bit mind blowing um, to think about the preparation and the time. You know, all of this Bible from this point before this is pointing towards Christ in this moment. And so we come back to chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. And Well, we'll read verse 1 and then we'll come back down to 14 through 16. It says in verse 1 of chapter 5, "...and seeing the multitudes, he went upon a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying..." We'll skip to 14. "...you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket." but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I think that there probably is another study that starts from this point and moves forward in the New Testament and discusses the, the understanding of the importance or us understanding as Christians what it means when Christ tells us that we are the light of the world. But I don't think that we can miss the point that here is truly the light of the world telling us that we are the light of the world. And I think it's important to go back and and look at all the physical examples of light in the Old Testament as well as the figurative and consider our role in this big story of light. Um, consider our responsibilities in this period of time as we look at the whole large picture from the beginning to now and forever. And, you know, I can't help but think about, obviously, the light that we shine, we know the source is God. We know the source is from is, it's the Word. Where there's nothing special about us except that Christ is in us. So we see that. The source of light is God. We also know that we oftentimes have to be a light in a very dark world. It gets really scary sometimes. Even in our world today, it gets really scary sometimes, and sometimes it thinks it's, we think it's worse than it ever has been. Sometimes the darkness can get so thick that you can feel it. It's so heavy that you don't know if you can bear it. But we have to remember that, that we are the light, and we have the light, and we have Christ, and we have His Word. But also, not even that, you think about the, the pillar that guided the, the Israelites, and and the idea of light there and the guiding them through the wilderness. Think about the great importance that Christ and responsibility of Christ has given to the church and to us as Christians to guide others to the light, to be bright enough so that, so that others can find God too. If we dim our light, if we hide our lampstand under a basket or a bushel, then how do people find their way? We have to be the pillar in the night. Um... And, and you know, of course, we have the lampstand example that he even uses here, but I just hope that maybe through this study and, and continued study through the New Testament um, that we each individually can do, that the better we understand the Old Testament and the analogies and the figurative language that is used, for me now, chapters 14 through 16 means a lot more. So I hope this study has helped you with that, and I hope it helps you understand it more, and hopefully we can all shine our lights even brighter. Thank you.